This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. Over the past two shows, we've examined the impact COVID-19 has had on our Michigan economy with the famed research specialist, Don Grimes, from the University of Michigan, and with Lori Richard, the chairwoman of the Small Business Association of Michigan. We learned about the outlook of our economy and the difficulties endured by small businesses and their employees across the state. Today, our own Dr. Dawn Opal joins Jerry and me to apply the research from the University of Michigan to estimate how long this current period of inflated need will last as the long tail of the pandemic begins to unfurl. The Michigan economy is reopening, but what does that mean to people currently in need of food assistance? You'll discover that and when we can expect to return to pre-COVID levels of food insecurity across Michigan. Stay with us as we wrap up this three-part series on the Michigan economy and food security. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. As promised, Jerry Brisson joins me now here, and as well as Dr. Dawn Opal, our own uh, Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives at the Food Bank Council. So welcome, both of you. Thanks. Great to be here again. Always a pleasure. here every week. Yeah, That's right. So I'm excited to have and see you both. Uh, so let's, let's dive in. This is the third... Um, third show in a three-part series about uh, the Michigan economy and its outlook on and forecast of food insecurity across our state. And so, um, Dawn, let's start with you. You've taken some data that you received from uh, the University of Michigan and Don Grimes and that team. You've looked at Feeding America's data and you've looked at our own unemployment information here in Michigan and and tell us what you found. Sure. So uh, this is an interesting time uh, for those of us in emergency food assistance, because normally the ways that we look at food security data, uh, COVID-19 has wreaked havoc with that because it has affected unemployment. It has affected school closures. It has affected uh, congregate feeding at senior uh, uh, and uh, other sites for those who would normally eat in institutional settings. And as a result, uh, it's really changed uh, and amplified the need for emergency food when all of those other institutional settings uh, are disrupted. And so uh, in order to really get a sense of what's going on and what we're going to be uh, involved in for the next couple of years, we really have to understand as well as we can what it, what, uh, it looks like for those institutions and these partners that we have uh, for the next uh, couple of years. So what we've been trying to understand 
hand is the unemployment rate, how the unemployment rate is, uh, is also works in tandem with institutions that would normally feed people or be a source of a resource for those people and try to triangulate that data to understand what the trajectory of, uh, food assistance is going to be, uh, for Michigan and for, for the country. Yeah, and what a great time to have this information because, or a timely time anyway, uh, because there's so much happening both at the state level and at the federal level around what more relief do people need. And in order to inform that conversation, this kind of research really helps us demonstrate, well, not just from a this is what we do so we want more standpoint, but hey, this is what's happening in the community in a real way. Here's the data that supports it. And here's why we're coming to say, here's some things you could think about as you imagine what kind of assistance people are going to need moving forward. And I know already the information that you've compiled is circulating through those circles and, um, and helping people really have the right discussion at the right time about what needs to be done now. Well, I think that the data that um, Dawn has pulled together for our network um, really does something that we've 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 tried to do at several different levels uh, since I've been a part of the Food Bank Council, and that is we want to we want to gather the right data so that it defines reality, and from that reality we can make data driven decisions that determine our direction, and that is specifically. Where are we going to get the, the right amount of food, the right types of food to the people who need it so that they can access it all across the state? And this is a step in that direction. And I think it takes us to the next level of effectiveness all across our network. Yes, and I think that what's also really important is that we understand uh, the ecology of uh resources that exist across uh, institutions, across sectors, and across systems so that we can better work together to understand where there are gaps and how to fill them. And I think thinking about Michigan's unemployment rate uh, which Michiganders qualify for what assistance, uh, you know, when will they qualify for different kinds of assistance or when do, does that assistance end and what will that look like for our lines? Um, and also thinking about what if we will receive more federal relief, if individuals will get more money in their pockets to purchase food and other necessities. These are all things that we have to take into account to understand what will drive our lines and where we could be more effective uh, in uh, pushing food across the state. So, Jerry, one of the things that um, has been uh, remarkable to me, I'm looking at a, a, a one-pager that we've created from, from Dawn's research here, Michigan's Economic Outlook and Food Insecurity 2020 to 2022. Um, and here's who's asked for this information so far. Um, so the state of Michigan, and that would I would start with the governor's office. The administration has asked for this. Basically, the the the, the department heads at DHHS, at MDARD, uh, and at the Michigan Department of Education have all asked to receive this this one pager and its explanation. But then also, it's amazing to me that funders have come to us and said, "Hey, can you help us understand what the need is going to look like?" as the tail of uh, COVID-19 begins to unfold itself. So I think it's pretty remarkable that 
that the Food Bank Council and our members are not looked at just as the distributors of emergency food, but also now they're seeing, beginning to see us as a, a, a place where they can receive great data that and research that defines reality. Yeah, it's hugely important um, having those relationships uh, with people who know, hey, we got to get funding to people that can go out and make a difference when a difference needs to be made makes all the difference in the world, right? It allows us to focus on our job and not focus just on the fundraising part. So there's no question that when we have the information that empowers funders to do what we know they want to do, but they just need a little bit of help so that they can do what they know is right, um, it all comes together in good ways for our community, and, and that's really important. Uh, you know, one of the things we need to do, I think, is to actually walk people through the information on that one pager. And I know uh, we can't put it up on a Zoom screen for everyone to see, but, uh, but I think that would be a really, really good thing to do. I think we should do that. Let's take a quick break and come back and have Dr. Opal explain this to us so that even you and I can understand it. We live in hope. We live in hope. She'll put the cookies on the right shelf for all of us. Come back with me with Dawn, Jerry, and me in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Dawn Opal with us. Uh, Jerry, of course, is the CEO for the Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chair for the Food Bank Council Board of Directors. And Dawn is our Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives. She's put together research for us uh, from a multitude of services, uh, sources, I should say, Michigan's Economic Outlook and Food Insecurity 2020 to 2022. So Dawn, help us, uh, let's get the cookies on the right shelf and uh, help us understand what the reality is and what the challenge and opportunity look like. Sure. So if we, if we can imagine back pre-COVID, uh, we have data from our national organization, Feeding America, to indicate that Michigan's food insecurity rate in 2018 was about 13.6%. Uh, and that was about 1.3 million food insecure Michiganders. So that's really how we uh, interpreted who our service, uh, who we were serving in Michigan pre-COVID. Then COVID uh, hit and the stay-at-home order particularly. So we had the public health crisis and then the unemployment that arose from COVID uh, shooting up to uh, 23% in this, by the end of the second quarter in 2020. So when you look at that, um, at that moment, um, really March and April, we know that we had at approximately really close to 2 million people coming to the food banks uh, at that time. What that meant for us in terms of real dollars is that over 7 million additional meals missed and about 15 million more dollars of meals needed to find their way to the clients that we were serving, primarily a lot of newly unemployed people who were not yet receiving uh, unemployment assistance. So that is how much money we needed to, to do that work. We know that the numbers, so when we look at uh, the U of M's 
uh, unemployment numbers and what they think that um, that sort of long tail, as you've been calling it. But what does the trajectory of unemployment look like? We know that we're going to stay in the, the double digits for a while longer. So what that means is, is that we're going to have a decrease in the number of folks that we're serving, but it will still remain much, much higher than it was pre-COVID. So we're still thinking that by the end of next year, by 2021, we're still going to be serving almost 1.7 million people. And we're still going to be so needing, um, you know, to find 21 million missed meals for those people during that, during 2021 and $43 million to feed them. So, um, so that's the end of 2021. We're hoping by the end of 2022, we'll see another decrease come down a few hundred thousand more people get more families employed. Um, but we're still going to be a couple hundred thousand people above where we were pre-COVID. So, um, you, so when you keep playing through those numbers all the way across, we're still going to need to find um, an additional 10 million meals and the, the cost of those meals. So that's kind of a simplified way of thinking about what the next uh, two and a half, three years looks like. Yeah, it's daunting. It's daunting. Um, and when we think about well, okay. If if that's the if that's the backdrop that we're going to be up against, then what are the most important things for us to do as we look forward to how to meet that challenge? And of course, the Food Bank Council of Michigan. That's why that's why we're here. That's the work of the Food Bank Council is to bring all of the food banks together to have these conversations, from those conversations to inform the administration and the, legis the legislature about the real work that needs to happen in communities, and then describe the real benefits of doing that work. So I, it's probably a good time just to say, if you're hungry, you only have one problem, because you're not going to work on the next problem until that problem is solved, right? And so by taking hunger off the table, we enable households to think about what else they have to do to be successful. It's very empowering work. And there's a misunderstanding a lot of times around the work we do that it just solves the problem in the moment. But it's not necessarily that simple. What really happens is if people know that they're going to have access to extra food through these food distributions, and they know they can call 211 if they need help, and they know that there's going to be a way for them to take hunger off the table, not just today, but tomorrow and next month. And, and for as long as they need that help, they can relax into a different place in their thinking and in their priorities and start to solve the other problems that they want to solve. And the other thing that I think it's important to say along those lines is the most effective tool we have to end hunger are hungry people themselves. These people are smart people, they're capable people, they have a plan for their life, and they are working through that plan. And if we can empower and enable them, they will do amazing things for themselves. And so in spite of the fact that we have a pretty dire and grim outlook in terms of unemployment for the next 18 to 24 months, we also have a tremendous amount of hope in the people that we serve, and in the promise that we can deliver success to them in a way that's going to help them tremendously.
This is an opportunity for us to really help others understand through the power of data what the changing economic climate of Michigan really looks like and how we can empower people to participate in building a future as economic sectors change over time. And that's something that I heard in your earlier show uh, with, uh, with Don is that there's an opportunity here to say, we see the shifts in the service economy, we see the shifts that are happening, and we really wanna help um, build a new uh, economy with Michiganders that, you know, we have the ability and a unique vantage point to sort of see what um, the changing nature of work looks like in Michigan. And I think it's a really important time to start equipping um, our, our government partners, our um, education partners, our healthcare partners, to understand what it looks like out there and what it's going to look like out there beyond the next two years. Well, it, it's daunting. And one of the reasons it's daunting is because we said for years, Jerry, on this show that one of the biggest tools in the, um, in the anti-hunger toolbox, as you said, is the person who, in the effort to fight food insecurity, is the person who is food insecure uh, but also a job, work, is a huge um, tool in this battle to, uh, to create a food-secure state. Um, and I just want to remind our listeners that the, the, the face of hunger here in Michigan um, is, is probably drastically different if you're not a regular listen to, listener to this show but during COVID, we've been faced with three waves of people. That's children and their families. And, and that continues throughout the summer here with schools are closed now. And we really have a lot of uncertainty about how they're going to reopen in the fall this year. Uh, the second has been seniors. And Dawn, you worked directly with folks who provide services to um, senior citizens. And Jerry, I know you guys created new partnerships with uh with some of the folks who serve senior citizens. And then there's been the formerly employed and maybe some folks who are just getting called back to work, but really are not able to uh, rebound fully economically, uh, the kind of the group that was unexpected to we for us to find them uh, in the lines of our distribution. So lots of challenge here. Um, I think that's a, I, I think that's probably a great place to leave this segment because um, we do see that our unemployment rate has skyrocketed here for the second quarter. It's going to continue for some months. Let's, uh, let's pick this up and tell, say really what that means to us and to our work and to the people that we serve on the other side of this break. That's Jerry Brisson, Dr. Don Opal. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a couple of minutes. First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. And we're talking about uh, Michigan's economic outlook and how it forecast out in the food insecurity rate. And um, Jerry, the, uh, you know, this is not anything humorous or uh, a, the, the plight that people are facing, but from the from the food bank council and our member standpoint, it, it looks like a lot of job security for us because it looks like our services are going to be needed for months to come. 
Well, there's no doubt about that, and uh, that's that's obviously taking up a lot of our time now to think about how do we have a sustainable, higher level of response to the need. And so some of what we talked about earlier in the show was the, the legislative efforts that need to happen and the, the efforts of uh, state and federal and local government around coordinated response in a way that can make sure that people, as they're going through lots of transitions, have the right help at the right time. And so, you know, certainly continuing to work with the Michigan Department of Education and the waivers that have enabled us to distribute groceries to families during school closures, that has been a huge thing that we know we need to see continue if we're going to make sure kids thrive in our state. So that's a big one. And this information is going to help us encourage and get that kind of support. Another one has been the extra SNAP. That's the in Michigan. It's called the Bridge Card. It used to be called food stamps, but it's getting families a little bit more money every month that they can buy groceries with. And of course, that's going to be important as well as we move forward, because as much as the food banks can do, it's going to take more than the food banks to get through all this. And so we're, we're working in partnership with the federal government and the state government and local governments on a lot of different ways. So Certainly, we're looking at how many SNAP dollars people get. Another thing that's been a huge help is the amount of food that we've gotten directly from farms. It is healthy food. It has been beautiful, the highest quality food um, that anybody could ever want, really. And um, and families are getting that high quality food at, at no cost to them and at a significantly reduced cost to the food banks because of the support that we've gotten from state and federal government. So continuing to look at those programs and how they need to um, continue to, to be active um, and funded, I guess is probably the right thing to say. That's going to be another part, but also on our part, providing concrete information to these partners about how it's making a difference. And that's hard work for us, but that's going to take some investment and some time as well as we can then report back. Here's what's actually happening in households, and here's how people have been able to stay in their homes, and here's how kids and families have done better, um, whether it's in school or whether it's in some other ways, as a result of this assistance. And, of course, that's all ways that are going to help us in the long run have a sustainable uh, support system and safety net for everybody that needs it. Yes, I would say also something that we haven't talked about um, is that COVID isn't over. And so, you know, all of these uh, institutions and all of these partners that we have are going to have to be incredibly nimble and, and responsive to you know, all of the changes that we'll continue to face. And as a result of that, we really need to be able to keep communicating to all of our partners to make sure that we aren't, uh, you know, missing new gaps that are that are filled if schools go in two days a week or, you know, or there are uh, furloughs or, you know, as things kind of change, we're in this new sort of normal where, you know, something might be consistent for a few weeks and then change for a few weeks. And so part of part 
part of this new normal is really understanding how uh, all of the all of those changes affect people's ability to get access to food, uh, as well as other services, and how all of those combine um, to create an experience for for families in Michigan to make sure that they've got the access points that they need at any given time, so that um, you know, so that everyone's covered when they need to be covered, and so that might require a more responsive and a more nimble system for us as food in the food banks, but also uh, with the with our other partners as well. So, guys, I want us to take a quick break here and come back and um, and and kind of put a bow on this for uh, this show and this series about Michigan's economic outlook and how it impacts our work um, of creating a food secure state. So that's Jerry Brisson, Dr. Dawn Opal, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're back here on Food First Michigan in just a few minutes. Welcome back, everyone. We're back here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Dawn Opal, and Dr. Phil Knight. And uh, we're discussing about how the Mich Michigan economic outlook is impacting our work and um, has really elevated the need uh, around food insecurity across the state. So guys, let me uh, throw one of the first things out here at you. Um, and, and that is uh, this idea of inflated need and who this is. And the, the group I really want to talk to you about right now is really the, the group I call the unexpected. It was people who were employees of uh, small businesses and uh, the, the service industry or contract or gig workers um, that came to us in the height of COVID. But what I think we're really beginning to discern is that they're not going away anytime soon because of this economic outlook. And so how do we help them and how do we explain and tell their story so people understand better the new face of hunger in Michigan? Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point. Um, I think it's it's often misunderstood who actually comes and gets emergency food. And for many people, thinking about the will work for food person along the side of the road is the image that comes to their mind. When in fact, in in most cases, the people that need emergency food are striving in jobs and in other ways to make ends meet and to make sense of their life. I mean, it makes sense, but if you don't think about it that way, it's not top of mind. And so as people are doing this, and many of whom are living paycheck to paycheck, right? That's a term we've heard and used many times. When something comes along and disrupts their life, and depending on how much uh, resource they have left, and that could be savings or that could be friendships or that could be family or whatever resources they have in their life, whatever they have left, that's what um, basically means how much time they have before they're going to need more help from somewhere. And if you're getting help for the first time, which many of these people that you just mentioned, doctor, are, getting getting unemployment takes time. Getting on the, the um, SNAP rolls takes time. Part of that time is just learning where to go to do it. It's, it's not all about that the systems aren't fast enough. It's about you just don't know where to start. And most of us don't talk to each other about, you know, the help that we need in that way. And so, um, and so people, you know, kind of struggle for a little while. And they also struggle because they don't want to ask for help. It's embarrassing to ask for help. And so you have this backlog that always happens in a crisis where a lot of people that should have asked for help after a week 
have waited two weeks, three weeks, four weeks before they're asking for help. And so you see this trend where things start slower than you'd expect, and then all of a sudden there's a huge uptick. So as we roll through all these changes and as as people are unemployed longer, we're going to continue to see these waves of people who have put it off as long as they can, but they're finally coming to ask for help because they can't put it off any longer. And so that's why we have to be there. And for many people, it is transitional. It might take a month for some people. It might take six months. And obviously, depending on what their employment prospects are, it might take even longer. In the height of the Great Recession, it was taking people between 18 and 36 months sometimes before they could get retrained and back in the workforce anywhere near where they were before. And of course, some people never came all the way back. So all that to say, when you put a face on hunger, it's a face of your neighbor more often than it is the face of the will work for food person, right? Significantly more often. It looks like somebody you know. And what one of the things I would say to our listeners is, are you imagining right now that some of the people listening to this show are in this predicament? And a lot of us don't think that our circle of friends and our circle of business colleagues include people that fit this profile. And I promise you it does. That your circle includes people in this predicament. It's parents that your kids and their kids are in school together. And they're not going to tell you, hey, I'm hungry and I don't know how I'm going to make this work. They're never going to say those words to you. But they are in front of you and, and you don't know it. So, so I think it is really important to say that the people that get help don't get just help today but they get help to a new place of success in their life. And it's people that look different than maybe you think. No, I completely agree with that. And I would say that over the last few months working on emergency food during COVID, I've seen firsthand how uh, how the, the instability of so many of the institutions that we take for granted, including family networks, um, you know, when people can no longer visit their older adult relatives to, because of the very real risk of transmitting the virus and the disproportionate effect on older adults, that social isolation has had real material effects on the lives of older adults to the, to the fact, you know, because oftentimes your kids, they bring food when they come over. And, you know, there's a, a sharing and a, and a network that, that broke down during COVID because those people couldn't be together. And it's the same with uh, friend, you know, friendship networks and affinity networks like your running group and, you know, other things that you just take on a take for granted that that's not really about food. But we know that when people are isolated, that the, the, the situation that they have with regards to resources, it becomes very, very isolating and, and amplified in the terms of need. So, you know, you're looking at parents that no longer have kids that have any connection to anything other than their home right now because of COVID. They're not in camp. They're not in school. They're not at playdates with their friends. They don't have babysitters coming. All of these support systems have broken down and that's everyone. So for all of those reasons, people are looking for help and they don't know where to go to find it because their friends and family and traditional uh, institutions where they would normally find that help uh, haven't been readily 
um, available to assist right now. So, you know, COVID has given us a chance to really see a world, um, you know, without the kinds of supports that we would traditionally just take for granted. Um, mm. And really, the I think the food banks have stepped in to play a major role in filling those gaps uh, that have uh, that have transpired during COVID and will continue to as we fight this virus. And so I think that in this post-COVID or in this uh, new normal with COVID time, we have to really think about how interdependent we all are to one another and how we can all help one another and where those spaces exist where they are to help. And the food banks, I think, have really stepped up to be that place where we can help one another in meaningful ways. And that's taken the government, the National Guard, philanthropy and the state to all work together to, to provide this help and to, to, to be there for one another in a difficult time. Well, this unique time has created uh, unique challenges and uh, unique needs and the, also the opportunity for unique partners. Um, so the two of you worked specifically together on a quarantine box for senior citizens and um, and so I, I want us to talk a little bit about that, just as an illustration uh, about um, how this time brings about unique opportunities that has been very beneficial for a very vulnerable population during this crisis. So, uh, Dawn, talk to us a little bit about that, because, I mean, your 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 title at the Food Bank Council is Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives. But the bottom line is you saw a real need for senior citizens and it grabbed your heart and you went to work on it. That's that's right. And I think that we uh, experienced some real disruption in where older adult agencies and organizations would um, receive their food supply. So food, uh, the distributors, manufacturers, the volunteers that would cook for uh, for Meals on Wheels and other programs um, had some disruption in March um, pretty significantly. Um, and so they were really looking for where could they uh, augment their food supply, but it became much more than that because it's also the design of the distribution systems that they had, um, you know, really really became difficult to, to execute. And, they, and the partnership that we created between the food banks and uh, the older adult uh, senior services community, I think was really remarkable to really step in and say, where are the places where we can't get the same kind of food that, that, that would normally exist during a congregate feeding or a, a, din- a dining site or um, a kitchen that would normally um, make food for particular meals for particular seniors? to distribute, who's going to get them out, how do we transport them, and we really had to work together to think about what the best avenues for not only procurement but distribution were going to be for older adults and where we saw gaps. And we know that those gaps have not, that they still exist, that a lot of people are are in their homes um, and trying to figure out what it looks like to get food now um, with with COVID and with um, family social distancing and other things. And I think that the food banks have really uh, stepped up to to think about how they might partner and distribute food in different kinds of ways. And I know that Jerry and Gleaners have looked at lots of different um, distribution models in order to meet this need. So one partner has been with the area agencies on aging. aging. Yeah, yep. absolutely, absolutely right. Partnership for you guys, Jerry. 
you know, they've been awesome to work with and, and they knew how to get in touch with a lot of different people. And so they were really quick to mobilize around how can we take advantage of this resource that we've never had before. They also had some uh, funding of their own that they could apply. And so, you know, there was a there was a lot of cross pollination of efforts and funds and, you know, making sure everyone came to the table with something they could do to make a difference. Um, I've also been real happy with the uh, VA hospital and the things we could do with veterans and some of the senior veterans in particular, but uh, but a lot of non-traditional partners, I guess I would call them, people who are, you know, transportation and mobility is, is an issue frequently. Um, during this time, it's, it's even made more problematic because people are quarantined, and even if they wanted to leave or could get transportation, they can't leave their home. And so, it's been a very, very inspiring time to work with new partners who we've learned really have an interest in solving for food insecurity while they're doing other important work for the people that they're serving. Well, guys, I hate to tell you this, but it's, uh, it's about time for this show to wrap up. So, Dawn, thanks for the research and the data. It's driving decisions across Michigan, and we much appreciate you and your, your role here with us at the Food Bank Council. Well, thank you. It's an honor to serve. It's time for a little food for thought. Data-driven decisions determine direction, and when you combine drive, dedication, and discipline to direction, you'll determine your destiny. Since Jerry and I started this show, we've maintained that food insecurity is a solvable problem. That is our destination. That's our destiny. A food-secure state. A state where hunger is off the table and it is replaced with access to healthy, nutritious food that people both want and need. It is a state where obesity levels go down and education scores go up. It is a state where people are no longer traumatized by hunger or criminalized for trying to feed their families. It is a state where we are measured by how many people become self-sufficient, not by how many we kick off food assistance. It is a state where people no longer are required to spend all of their energy fixing one problem, what they will feed their kids tonight. But it is a state where food security means they are freed from the toxic stress of being food insecure. It is a state that is just, where food is accessible and that food brings to every household it touches economic value, stability, health, and empowerment. That is our destiny. That is our destination. I hope you will continue to join us on our journey and join this movement to create a food secure Michigan. We do that by putting and keeping food first, Michigan, food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.